0: Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia And a good conscience and a sincere faith. Beloved of God, the word of the Lord is truth. And so let's ask the Lord now to sanctify us in the truth by his spirit. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, as we open now your word this evening, we pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened so that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God. We ask this in the name of the one who is immortal, invisible, God only wise, the one who was and is and is to come even the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, a perennial problem for the people of God, we could say the first problem that the people of God ever ran into, and it's been a problem ever since, is the problem of our susceptibility to wander, to stray from the word of God. And so we see that in the very beginning, don't we? God creates Adam and Eve, and he commands them, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat it. And then the serpent comes and tempts Eve and says, has God really said? Did he really say not to touch it? And is he really looking out for your best interest? Is he really loving you and seeking your good? With that command. And so, what do Adam and Eve do? They wander from the Word of God and they fall into sin. And now the world is in the state that it is today. And we see this as we continue then to look at the history of Israel, don't we? Israel continually, time and again, wanders, strays from the Word of God as it comes to them through the mouth of Moses and the prophets and the priests that God has provided. They don't listen, they don't obey, they wander and they stray. We see the same dynamic at play, the same susceptibility in the early church. It's why Paul needs to write this letter. If we fast forward to today, we see this rampant in the church today, don't we? The church seems to have no idea who she is and how God would have her conduct herself as the church In this day and age. As if God hasn't said anything about that in his word. And so you see this trend within the church where she seemingly is constantly reinventing herself. Well, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should try that. Offering up strange fire, as it were, to God. And why is this? Because they've wandered from the word of God. And brothers and sisters, we don't have to look in the past. We don't even have to look outside of ourselves. We can look in our own hearts and see the same susceptibility, can't we? Giving into the temptations of the flesh and the world and the devil, believing the lies that they are constantly confronting us with. And then we wander from the word of God. As that old hymn says, prone to wander. We sang it this morning, didn't we? Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And brothers and sisters, it ought not to be this way for us. Because the Lord, in his grace and his love and his kindness, has told us, revealed to us, and inscripturated in his holy word, this is what you are to believe. And this is how you are to behave, individually and corporately, as the church. And so that's why we should be so thankful for this letter. That Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, inspires him to write to the church in Ephesus through Timothy and brothers and sisters for us. And why is it so important that we as the church know what we ought to believe and how we ought to conduct ourselves? Because brothers and sisters, the Lord has told us, the Lord Jesus, very clearly that the way that he manifests his wisdom, his glory in the world is through his church. Paul says that very clearly in Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 10. And so as the bride of Christ, we are to display Christ's glory to a watching world. And as pastors, we're to protect and care for Christ's church. And see that she believes and lives as she ought to. And that's the whole reason that Paul wrote this letter. We know that because, listen to the purpose statement really of First Timothy. In First Timothy 3 verses 14 and 15. Paul writes to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And so this is the whole reason that he writes this letter. Here's the question then, brothers and sisters, how do we remain faithful? to the word of God. And what we're going to see just in these first two verses that we look at, that part and parcel of obedience, really what motivates our obedience, is a regular meditation upon and rejoicing in the incredible, infinite, eternal love of God shown to us in Christ. Paul can't even begin his letter without placing that in front of us. Why? Because the only way we as God's people are going to live in line with what he said in his word is if we understand and rest in his love for us as shown to us in his son. And so we're going to see that very, very clearly this evening just in these two verses. And I don't have a super incredible outline for you this evening. Just the two headings that we're going to look at these two verses under. First of all, we're going to look at the author, the Apostle Paul, in verse 1. And secondly, we're going to look at the recipients. And I'm going to argue, very briefly, that I think the recipient is the church in Ephesus through Timothy. And we'll see very clearly, not just in these first two verses, but throughout the entire book, why I think that's the case. And so as we look at these two verses, may the Lord be pleased to use his word to cause us to rejoice in the love that he has shown us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look first then at verse 1 as we look at the author, the apostle Paul. Let me read verse 1 for us. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. So the first thing that Paul emphasizes here as he introduces himself is the fact that he is an apostle. Now, if you know who the recipient of this letter is, just even a little bit, he's addressing Timothy, this introduction may cause you to scratch your head a little bit. Because by identifying himself as an apostle, as Paul does in many of his letters, he's flexing his apostolic muscle here. He's saying, I write this to you, On apostolic authority. Now, again, who's he writing to? He's writing to Timothy. At least that's what he says in verse 2 to Timothy. So, why is he doing that with someone who knows him so well? Remember, Paul is instrumental in the conversion of Timothy, he is the one who proclaims the good news to Timothy. So that when he hears it, he believes. And Paul is instrumental in Timothy's sanctification and his call to gospel ministry. They've been on missionary journeys together. They've penned letters inspired by God to the churches together. Do you think Timothy questions Paul's apostolic authority? Not at all. So then why does he start this way? Well, this is part of the argument for why. I think that Paul's ultimate audience is the church in Ephesus. And we can see the necessity for that just in verses three through five that I read in the beginning for us, that there are false teachers, there are false beliefs running around. And so Paul says, I leave you there, Timothy, to set things in order, to command the church there to believe and to live as God would have them believe and live. And we can know that Timothy's going to experience opposition to that. And Timothy is one who's given to timidity. He has a hard time grasping that authority that has rightly been entrusted to him. And so for his sake, and so that the church receives Timothy well, he's flexing that apostolic muscle, as it were. He's flexing that apostolic authority. So do you see the chain of command here very clearly? God commands Paul. Paul commands Timothy Timothy commands the church. That's the chain of command that we have here. And children, you get this chain of command, don't you? I hope you do. You live most of your life under the tight authority, depending on your age here this evening, of your parents, don't you? And you understand, they don't claim that authority as coming from themselves. At least if they do, come tell me about that after. No. They have that authority from God. God. And so you're under their authority, not because you may wonder, how come you're the boss of me, right, at your worst moments? Your parents are the boss of you because God has entrusted your care to them, and they are to raise you in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so Paul is saying, God has given me this authority, and I've then entrusted a similar authority to Timothy. And church in Ephesus, you need to know that so you don't hassle him so much but you actually receive him as you ought to, as I have sent him to you. So first of all, Paul says that he's an apostle. Notice next that Paul says he's not just an apostle, but he's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is hugely significant. And we could... Spend a lot of time talking about all the implications of this. Don't worry, we're not going to do that. But I do want to highlight three really important implications of the fact that he's not just an apostle, but an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, when Paul says that he is a messenger, a sent one of Christ, he's saying that he has been sent by Christ to proclaim Christ. Christ is his message. Every time he opens his mouth to teach the intention of Paul's words is not to bring glory to himself, but to bring glory to Christ, our Savior, sent by the Father in love to reconcile us to God. And so Paul says very clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 And verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So he's not constantly trying to win you over to him. Anytime we see in Paul's letters, specifically and particularly the Corinthian letters, he's loath to talk about himself. But sometimes he feels driven to it. Why? So that there wouldn't be a hindrance between the people and Christ. Because some are trying to say, oh, Paul's not legitimate. You shouldn't trust him. And so Paul says, I am so jealous of you for Christ that I will make a fool of myself and defend myself a little bit so that you would love him more. But he doesn't make it all about himself. He makes it all about Christ. And so as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is constantly declaring the glories of Christ. And church, it, it only seems appropriate to pause there by way of application and say that's exactly what you should expect of your gospel ministers and of your elders. When we are ministering Christ through the word to you in whatever venue, whether it's a pastoral visit or a grace group or on, in Sunday morning worship, Sunday evening worship, you should have every expectation And pray for us that we would be faithful to exalt Christ and not ourselves. Because a good gospel minister understands that you don't belong to us. You belong to Christ who shed his blood for you. And so our goal and passions should be to see you not ultimately love us more, but love him more. And I love what John Calvin, along these lines in his sermons that he wrote on 1st Timothy particularly on verses 1 and 2 has to say about this he says that any pastor that does otherwise is like a man who has entrusted the care of his wife to one of his friends and then that friend tries to woo or seduce her to himself what kind of friend would that be well as the saying goes with friends like that I guess you don't need enemies But here's the point. That's the situation that as gospel ministers, as pastors, we're in. Christ has gone to prepare a place for you, precious bride of Christ, and entrusted your care to the pastors that he's appointed in his church. And you do not belong to us. You belong to him. And so we seek to wash you with the water of the word and prepare you for his returning, not trying to woo you to ourselves, but constantly put before you his glories and how majestic and beautiful he is. And so this is what you should look for in your gospel ministers, whether you're at Sovereign Grace or whether you go to another church. It's interesting that Paul uses, by the way, this very language of being jealous that he might present the church to Christ as a pure bride. He says this in 2 Corinthians 11 Verses 2 and 3, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You see, as gospel ministers, we're aware of the proclivity to wander from the word of God even as Eve did, and so we are jealous of you for Christ's sake that you wouldn't. And so that's why we teach, and that's why we love, and that's why we come alongside of you and do pastoral visits and do all that we do. And this is what you should look for in a gospel minister, that he is a herald of Christ and his glory. Second of all, a second implication is that Paul is saying that he's been called as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, To proclaim Christ on the authority of Christ. He proclaims this on the authority of Christ. He wants his audience to know the church in Ephesus. He didn't come up with this message. This isn't his invention. This isn't his brainchild. This message has been delivered to him by Christ. To then be delivered to the church. And this is extremely important because it's only of Christ. Christ. That God the Father has said in Matthew 17, verse 5, listen to him. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And I love what, again, John Calvin says about this. He says, when that voice was heard from heaven, that is the voice of our heavenly father to Christ, it was meant to shut the mouth of every creature so that none should presume to preach anything devised by their own brain or claim to be a teacher or instructor. These things are reserved for the Son of God. I remember just this past week at a pastor's fellowship, we were interacting with some aspiring gospel ministers, and I remember telling them, if you want to be creative in your ministry, if you want to be creative in your theology, do not become a pastor. That's not what this is about. This is about the faith once for all delivered to us, passed down through the ages. We are stewards of that. And you're not to creatively come up with, let's try this, or let's do this, or what about if we... No. You are delivering a message that Christ has given to his people. And as a pastor, you are to guard that and herald it and proclaim it. Third implication is that Paul is saying that is going to seem really obvious, that Christ speaks his word through men. He doesn't descend himself. Now he speaks through his church, through the appointed men in the church, gospel ministers, elders, to speak his word. And again, John Calvin says of this, our faith must not be ascribed to mortal men, or to mere creatures, God alone is master of our souls. And we must receive from him the entire message of our salvation. Yet, he does not descend in visible form to speak to us. Nor does he send us his angels. His will is that we should be taught by means of men. This is Paul's whole point in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. First through the prophets, then through the apostles... As the foundation of the church is laid, and now through pastors and elders, as they are called and illuminated and qualified by the Holy Spirit. And so this is in large part, there's a whole lot more that we could say, but what Paul means when he says that he's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the next question that we have is, okay, who appointed Paul to be an apostle? Of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, he answers that question in the rest of verse 1. So look there with me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. So who commanded him to this? Paul says the Lord did. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, I didn't volunteer to be an apostle. The Lord didn't say, hey, who would like to be a sent one? Who would like to be a messenger? And Paul said, ooh, 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 me, me, me. And he's also saying that no mere mortal appointed me to that. No, I've been appointed to this, commanded to do this by the Father and the Son. And we know this just from Paul's conversion story from Acts chapter 9, don't we? We know that Christ commanded Paul and called Paul Paul. To be an apostle in this way, to behold the glory of Christ, the risen Christ, so that he's commanded to be an apostle. And I think it's really important to reflect on the fact that where was Paul headed on the road to Damascus when Christ appeared to him and called him to himself and commanded him to be an apostle? Was he seeking the Lord? Was he seeking to be a blessing to Christ and to his church? No, he's on his way to trample the church of Christ, to persecute her, to inflict suffering on her, to murder her members so that Christ appears and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So he's not looking to pursue God. He's trying to murder Christ and his church. And yet in the love and grace of God, he pursues And calls and commands Paul to be an apostle, to be saved. And brothers and sisters, what a glorious reminder of the grace of God. Because when God found us, we weren't looking for him. We weren't trying to understand him. We weren't trying to live for him. We were on a one-way road to hell. And that's where we would have ended up. But for the love and grace of God. In Christ Jesus. And so it's not because of. Our intelligence. Our goodness. Ultimately because of our upbringing. Or anything we have or have not done. It's the sheer love. And grace of God. Shown to us. In Christ. And we must never forget that. Paul never forgot it. He seemed to be progressively more and more. Humbled by that fact. The older that he got, And yet his focus here, where he's drawing us, is to the love of the Father as shown in Christ. And we can see that even in the fact that he describes God as our Savior. Now that's kind of curious, isn't it? God, our Savior? If I were to ask you, children, maybe I should ask you, if I were to ask you which person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, of the Holy Spirit, is your Savior... My guess is that you'd likely say, Jesus, the Son is our savior. And you would get a B for that. Because here's why. It's not an F, it's not a feeling great or anything like that. Because Jesus is our savior, isn't he? He's the one who accomplishes our salvation. He's the one through whom the Father reconciles us to himself by his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, And his ascension. And so it's absolutely appropriate to understand that Christ is our Savior. But here's the thing that Paul is getting at. You understand that Jesus, the Son, would have never come. Christ would have never come in love to redeem us had the Father not sent him. And planned our redemption. And planned our salvation. And so Paul is jealous here to point out. That the source, the fountainhead of your salvation is the Father. As if to dispel that lie that we're so prone to believing, brothers and sisters. That the Father is somehow angry. And you're an object of wrath in his eyes. And so loving Jesus comes. The Son comes to appease the wrath of the Father. And because Jesus has come, now the Father loves you. No, 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 no. Because the Father loves you. And has, as we heard this morning, that love never began and it will never end. Because the Father is eternally love. He sent his Son in love to save us. And so Paul is just highlighting this, making this so abundantly clear for us. Emphasizing the love of the Father as shown in Christ. And then notice that Paul says that Jesus is our hope. God's our Savior. Jesus, the Son, whom he sent, is our hope. What's he getting at there? He's getting at the fact that without Christ, if the Father hadn't sent Christ in love, then we would have no hope. Paul says that very thing in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, doesn't he? Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And so without Christ, brothers and sisters, we have no hope because there's nothing that we can experience. There's nothing that we can do to put ourselves into God's good graces in and of ourselves. We owe him an infinite debt Because of our sin in Adam and then our own sinful rebellion. And we can never repay that. Hence, the God-man who can pay that penalty and be a fit substitute for us. And so our hope cannot be in our good works or our reputation before others or anything about us or that we do or haven't done. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness again to quote calvin he says let us learn therefore that if we would have assurance and peace of mind we must look for the beginning and end of our salvation in our lord jesus christ he alone is our hope and so paul says if you want confidence assurance it can only be in Christ." who lived and died and rose and ascended and intercedes for us even now. Brothers and sisters, don't you just love this? Do you see how rich, it's just dripping with gospel realities. Paul's just introducing himself. And he's saying, listen, the only way you're going to be able to obey and love the things that I'm going to command you on the authority of God is if you behold the loveliness of your God and the love that he has shown you in his son. And so he's just putting that right before us at the very beginning. So now that we've looked at Paul the author, let's secondly look at the recipient, and this goes faster. I know I always say this, but it does go faster. The recipient, the church, through Timothy. Look at verse 2 with me. To Timothy, my true child... In the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this address here to Timothy is interesting, isn't it? Because what does he call him? He says, you are my true child or true son in the faith. Which means then that Paul is saying, I am your true father in the faith. So he's saying that he's his spiritual father. Now, again, children, if I were to ask you, who is Timothy's spiritual father? My guess is that you would likely say, well, God is Timothy's spiritual father. Because God is the only one who can bring us from spiritual death to spiritual life, cause us to be born again and adopt us into his family. And ultimately, you would be exactly right if that's what you said. But there is a sense in which Paul can legitimately call himself Timothy's spiritual father. Because guess what? God is also ultimately the one who created my children, Benjamin and Charlotte. Does that mean then that I can't say that according to the flesh, I am their true father and they are my true children? No, of course I can say that even though God's the one who body and soul ultimately made them. Why? Because I am the means in part that God used to create them. And so that's all Paul is saying here. He's saying, Timothy, I'm the means that God used to have the gospel proclaimed to you so that you believed, so that you were converted and so again he's highlighting the gospel he's highlighting also the close relationship between paul and timothy and again you can imagine what an encouragement that probably was for timothy and hopefully an encouragement to the ephesians hey paul and timothy are really really close (laughs) so it's also talking about the fact here this language of a true child in the faith that timothy is like his spiritual father paul He's faithful to the gospel ministry. He exalts Christ. Paul's saying all the things that can be said of me can also be said of Timothy in his faithfulness to Christ and what he's called him to. And so this language is not unique. Paul says the same thing to the Corinthians to whom he preached the gospel and through whom they believed. He says in 1 Corinthians 4.15, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul is the means that the Lord used for Timothy to hear the gospel and be saved. And so that's what he's highlighting here. Now notice that Paul then goes straight from addressing Timothy to greeting the entire church. Now obviously, Timothy is a part of the church, but his address now here is wider. And notice this greeting. He says, grace mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And do you notice what Paul is communicating here in this greeting? He's proclaiming to the church on apostolic authority from God himself that God the Father and Christ and, of course, the Holy Spirit shower upon his church grace and mercy and peace. And so with divine authority, Paul is pronouncing that to the Ephesian church, blessing them. Because God, through the pen of his apostle, has inspired him to write this. Which is why, if you've been paying attention over the last couple of months, you notice that both in the evening service, it happened tonight, and in the morning service, we begin now with what? Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. And I got to tell you that, hearing that, sometimes I'm the one that proclaims it, it quickens my pulse. My heart rate goes up a little bit and I get excited. Do you want to know why? Because what right do we have to come before God, the holy and righteous one, unless he summons us and greets us? And welcomes us in His Son. What can we, who in and of ourselves are unholy, have anything to do with Him who is holy, holy, holy? Unless He greets us and warmly welcomes us in His Son through His mediation as our great high priest. We have no hope. And so I don't despair. (laughs) What are we doing here? No, God has summoned us. God has greeted us. God has welcomed us. So we can come. And he then goes on to say, notice, he's highlighting the grace and the mercy and the peace here. Sorry, I got a little wrapped up in that. And so our only hope is that to draw near to God is if he first draws near to us in Christ. And brothers and sisters, that's exactly what God has done. And so as we look at grace, mercy, and peace, we understand that God has shown us grace in Jesus. Because though we deserve His wrath for our sins, yet in love He gives us His Son. And in Jesus, God has shown us mercy. Because even though we are spiritually poor and blind and naked in and of ourselves, and thus not worthy of the pity of anyone, He shows us mercy by giving us His Son. And in Jesus, God the Father has given us peace where there was once hostility, enmity, wrath between us and God, there is now shalom. There's now peace. Because God has given us his son. There's peace through the blood of Christ shed on the cross. So brothers and sisters, do you see how clearly, just how clearly, Paul is parading before us the love of God for us in Christ? And again, it's so important that Paul starts his letter here. It's so significant because as we continue our way through this epistle, we need to understand that what is to motivate us to obey God's clear commands for his church How we ought to conduct ourselves is gratitude and thankfulness. Love in response to his infinite love for us set upon us in eternity past and then manifested in history in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, that's what's to motivate all of our obedience. Not vain attempts to try to earn or merit God's favor, but obedience because he loves us. And has shown that love to us in Christ. Because you see at the end of the day. The reason that Adam disobeyed the word of God. The reason Israel disobeyed the word of God. The reason the church disobeys the word of God. Brothers and sisters sadly the reason that you and I disobey the word of God. Is because in those moments. We have lost sight of the love. And loveliness of our God towards us in Christ. And so we stray and we fall into sin. And yet he works repentance in us. We look to him in faith. And his love just continues to be showered upon us. So let us not lose sight of that. Let us rest in that. His infinite love for us in Christ. And by his grace, walk as he commands. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are humbled by how clearly you proclaim the good news to us just in these opening few verses of this letter that you inspired Paul to write to Timothy in the Ephesian church. We pray, Lord, that you would cause the gospel ministers, elders here at Sovereign Grace to be those who minister Christ faithfully and that we as a congregation would be those who rest in the grace and mercy that you've shown us in Christ, and that we, as a result, by your grace, live faithfully as you've called us to in light of who we are in Christ. We pray now that you'd bless our time of prayer together, we ask this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.